rather busy. Now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. So I said last week that uh, Detour was probably the first episode of The X-Files that I had ever seen. Um, I must have stuck around and watched it the next week because Postmodern Prometheus is also one of the few episodes of The X-Files that I have seen. And um, See, you're already lying to the listeners of Tuning In because last week you said that you disliked Detour so much it was not a good introduction to The X-Files. And here you are revealing that you have an entire secret history with The X-Files, that you went to an X-Files convention, <laughs> you had a costume, you were dressing up as Scully in your free time. I see what's going on here, Richard, and I'm disappointed. Listen, the truth is out there. Believe the lie. Um, there will be at least one other episode that I will remember seeing suddenly, and I have no idea when that's coming out, but, uh, I don't know if postmodern Prometheus was a good introduction to the X-Files. Watching it now, I fucking loved this episode. This was a wonderful episode. I was not ready for it when I first saw it, because I, I didn't really like it. I thought it was kind of a dumb episode. I was very wrong on that score, but... Well, you were like 15. So yeah, that no. probably had something to do with it. I mean, there was a, lo- a lot of it. For example, the share stuff. I didn't know. This was, my, this was the thing that taught me what the movie Mask was, for example. And uh, going and not really knowing much about that kind of ruins part of the impact of the episode, for example. Uh, I didn't really know... I, I hadn't read Frankenstein at that point. I didn't really know the kinds of movies that this episode is homaging i didn't really know the postmodern philosophy that they were dealing with i was a little too young for this episode i think when i saw it yeah i mean the x-files is a very demanding show and it's it's weird because the x-files didn't really start out as a demanding show and it's funny i was um doing some some research into television theory which i do on my off time because i don't have any children and one of the things that I found very interesting was I, I, I found this uh, pretty long article written by Todd Vanderwerf um, from a few years ago, uh, kind of talking about um, the, the limitations of sort of modern, you know, golden age of television, prestige, prestige television, whatever you want to call it. And he used the X-Files as an example of um, the, the type of show that found its best work in the sort of like detours and off tracks uh, that you can't really get with a a very serialized narrative that only has 10 or 13 episodes and i think that's really right you know you can uh, you can really see a path for the x-files where it has 10 or 13 episodes a season and they're basically like half mythology and half uh monster of the week which is surprise surprise kind of what season 11 is like and it's just not as good because part of what makes the X-Files so interesting is that it had so many episodes to do these really sort of weird off-format episodes. I mean, I said last week that I think this is probably the most experimental episode of the X-Files in terms of the look of it. Yeah. I mean, I think you would agree with that because it is doing a very, very visual homage to those sort of like 1930s classic Universal Monster movies. Uh, it's also shot in black and white. This is, uh, you know, a show that had never done that before. And, or actually, no, they, they, it did do it once before in Musings of a Cigarette Smoking Man. There was that one uh, story in that episode that was shot in black and white, but there was nothing, uh, there had been no episode before that was shot entirely in black and white. And 
I'm not saying that this is like my favorite episode of the X-Files. I'm not even saying that it's a representative episode of the X-Files because in a way, I don't know if there is a representative episode of the (laughs) X-Files. And that is a very interesting statement to make because you certainly could not have made that in season one or two of this show. Yeah, I mean, it's part of the reason I think this was not a good detour and this were not good episodes to get introduced to the X-Files on is because of that non-representationalism. I think they do require, even if it, the X-Files does not have a representative episode, we have a general idea of if we were to come up with an archetypal X-Files episode, we kind of know how we would do it. We Everybody would have their own idea of that. The show doesn't have a formula, but it feels like it does. And this is because this feels like such a deviation from formula. It does. I mean, yes, it does, but it also doesn't, right? Because you know we're six episodes into the into the fifth season now, and we have yet to have like a standard Monster of the Week episode. We have had Monster of the Week episodes, but none of them have been in the sort of standard classic X Files. We have a cold open, something crazy happens, then Mulder and Scully appear on the scene, or they get called in to see it. And then they investigate the mystery, and it's all very played very straight. I mean, we have not had that kind of episode yet, and we are not going to have an episode like that um, in this season for a while. And it's just very, very interesting because the this, the show is obviously building up to something, right? Like, this, this is a show that could not have done an episode like the postmodern Prometheus in season two. Yeah. I don't think Chris Carter could have written it in season two. I, I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of like sort of playing to the top of your intelligence going on with the X-Files. I think that the writers for the show um not not explicitly were challenging each other, but I think implicitly challenging each other through sort of the the quality of their work and the risks that they were willing to take. And I also think that frankly Chris Carter as showrunner was very willing to go in very very strange directions and really I think let his writers do a lot of things that would have felt very dangerous to do in earlier seasons of the show. And uh, well, I was going to say I think it's less challenging and more inspiring each other. Like Again, we've talked a lot and said, oh, this feels like a Darren Morgan episode, and this has resonances of what I mean by that, but a lot there were a lot of great episodes of the show that you could tell the other writers admired, and oh, I want to try and do something like that, and it feels very positively getting each other to greater heights, yeah. This is a show that is growing at a very good pace for it, too. Yeah, and I and I also think that that you know, we certainly have had missteps, right? Like the field where I died, for instance. Um, very interesting episode, ultimately not all that successful. Postmodern Prometheus is very successful at what it's trying to do. It is a completely charming, completely entertaining from top to bottom, but it also has some some things to say. And in a way, I would argue that if there's any sort of typical X-Files episode, it's this episode because... <laughs> The X-Files, like, you kind of have to be open to the idea that the X-Files is going to be weird. You're not going to know what you're going to get from week to week. And I think watching an episode from the first season is not the best way to to, to get into the show because yeah. you're not really going to be prepared for what it's doing. I think that that's why this is a show that really rewards watching it from the beginning because you really see the evolution of the, the show and how it has pushed itself forward every each and every season. 
yeah, this isn't a show that's content to let rest on its laurels, and it's, uh, I would not want to see ten seasons of season one. Uh, and I guess part of the reason it did last ten seasons is because it was hard to get a handle on in that way. Accessible enough that you can, that you're not feeling completely alienated by what's going on, ha ha ha, but vibrant enough that people who are looking for something different would always get something different from the show. I mean, yes and no. I I kind of disagree with you because Law and Order was on for like 30 years. But, yeah, that's fair. You know, a lot of procedurals last a really long time. Um, I don't know why The X-Files was on so long, to be, to be honest with you. I guess it was just because it kept getting good ratings. But uh, it is very bizarre to think about the fact that this show originally got nine seasons. It's, it's just astounding. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to the later seasons because you'll, you'll kind of see what the limitations of that are. But Yeah, and I guess a show like Supernatural, which is a lot more consistent in ways, you know, and, and in a similar tone as this show, or at least a similar theme. Is that still on? I th- I it I know it lasted at least twelve or thirteen seasons. If it's not still still on, yeah. Good lord! I know, I know. No wonder Dean wasn't in the Gilmore Girls reboot for very long. <laughs> he doesn't um, need to. <laughs> he doesn't need to be. He's working. He's still working. He's cashing all those supernatural checks. But it's you know I mean leaving all that aside you know dealing with the actual episode I mean partially it's it's very. I think it's a very uh, uh, disarming episode because it, it's very hard to read initially. You know, I think that that initially this this episode going into it, you've got this sort of comic book that starts it out. You've got the black and white. You've got the music, which is very playful and indicates that the show is is going to be more of a lighthearted comedy episode. And it 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 isn't though. I mean, I I think for a lot of what this episode does, I, I wouldn't say it's a comedy. Certainly, no. it has comedic moments. And there's a lot of weirdness about it, and it is making a very particular place and a very particular time. Uh, but there also is a very sort of, it's just a very surreal, bizarre episode. Yeah. yeah it, 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 it's the kind of episode that you have to forget that this is about rape, but it's a very sweet and touching episode by the end as well. Um, I mean, I... I, I particularly the uh what what do we call them the 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 guy with the mutato i mean his his speech that he makes at the end which is so beautiful and articulate and very sensitive and it's one of the great chris carter monologues uh and the fact that it ends on such a weirdly you know fourth wall breaking note of defiance and uh, a forced happy ending in a way, which we will sh- we sh- must should talk about. Uh, again, you have to take out the fact that rape is at the heart of this episode. This is an episode, in a way, like Small Potatoes, which is a, a very similar subject. I mean, this episode reminded me of a cross between uh, Small Potatoes and War of the Copperfages, actually. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think that... that- you know, I am in no way equipped to talk, talk about postmodernism. You, you are probably more equipped to talk about it than I am. Um, so, you know, you'll have to help me through this. But I, I do think that there is an element to this episode which is really not interested in its own reality. You know, you, you have an episode that if you look at it bald-facedly, like as, as an actual episode, if you look at what's going on here, the reality of the situation, you know, we have... Uh, 
two characters who are doing really reprehensible things and have been doing them ostensibly for a long time. I mean, let's not forget that um, Izzy, the the woman's son, uh, who, interestingly enough, uh, Chris Carter wanted her to be played by Roseanne Barr and she turned it down, which I actually think might have been the right choice. I don't know if, and Cher also, they wanted Cher to be in this episode um, and they offered it to her and she also declined it. She was apparently a big X-Files fan and then she apparently regretted turning it down. I don't know that the episode, I mean, certainly having Cher at the end of it would have been like a better ending. Yes. Although I don't know if having Roseanne playing that character would have been better. I think that might have been a little bit too far. It depends on how she would have done it. I could see it being done too broadly and, oh, hey, that's Roseanne Barr rather than, because you're supposed, having Cher at the end would give that moment of, oh shit, it's actually Cher. Just as you have the moments of, oh shit, it's actually Jerry Springer. Like they're playing themselves. If Roseanne, right. But Roseanne Barr not playing herself would stand out in an episode where two people did. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that totally. Um, that what is interesting to me about this episode. I mean, we do want to talk about the the fourth wall breaking, and when we do want to talk about the fictional ending, right? Because I I think the key to understanding it is is the comic book, and the key to understanding it is. The beginning that starts out with this idea that this is a story that is being told in a comic book and that essentially I think what we are seeing is is a, is sort of a, a, a weird amalgamation, a sort of Frankenstein's monster, if you will, <laughs> of of the real events that happened yeah. combined with a sort of comic book sentimentality or comic book storytelling approach because you have a lot of the characters in in the in the town the reporter who acts like a chicken uh, you know you've got the character that's supposed to look like a pig I love that um, scene where they're just making it so obvious like that was the funniest fucking moment Yeah yeah and and then, of course, the end of the episode where they arrest the, the Mutato and who never gets a name, so we'll have to call him the Mutato. But then it has this sort of like, you know, record scratch, like forced, forced, fourth wall yeah. breaking ending where it's completely different. And I think that what you're supposed to read into that is that is the ending of the comic book. That is not the ending of this episode. But I don't know. I mean, what do you make of it? I, it's very difficult to figure out. Well, for me... uh it's a refutation of Franken of the Frankenstein story. Um, it's funny because we actually talked about this uh, this week on Trek about in the episode Demons, uh, which you know I felt was about the creator taking responsibility for their creation. Um, one of the points of Frankenstein is that Doctor Frankenstein creates this monster and then refuses to have any have anything to do with it. Um, the monster cries out for companionship, but uh, Dr. Frankenstein refuses to do that. Um, and it is almost, you know, in some ways the story can be read as a condemnation of God who, you know, creates people and then leaves them to suffer. Uh, okay, fine. Um, in this episode, you have a situation which Mulder and Scully believe is patently unfair, and they literally call on the author or you know, more symbolically on God, and they say, you know, this sucks. What happened sucks. It's your responsibility to change this. And so then we have the happiest of endings, the ending that uh, is the author stepping up and giving the real ending that we want, you know? The Mutato gets to go to this concert and meet Cher, and for good measure, we're going to have Mulder and Skelly dancing, and it's going to be this beautiful moment. I mean, that's... there's something very defiant about that, that 
we don't have to accept this shitty world that we've been given, that we have the right to demand something better. And the fact that this is an episode that is written by Chris Carter, the creator of the show, the closest thing the show has to a god, is pretty pretty important, too, I think. Um, especially when we're going to go into the Christmas episode next week, and we are about to get some answers, I assume. But... Woo, that's a that's a load you just dropped. Um Thank you. I I I agree with all of that. I mean, I think that what always strikes me about the ways in which this episode is playing around with the ideas of of authorship and the ideas of The X-Files has always been a show that that, that was interested in that and I think yeah. we've talked about that in previous episodes. Certainly that was the point of something like Jose Chung's from Outer Space. And I don't think that you can I don't think that you can like uh, a directly track postmodern Prometheus back to Jose Chung's from Outer Space. But this is a show that very much is interested in in playing around with the idea of an objective reality and playing around with the idea of of memory as being inherently unstable, inherently um, untrustworthy. And and the you know let's link this back to to the foundation of the X Files, the foundation of Mulder's quest. This I this memory he has of his sister being abducted, and how the show has been very willing in episodes like Paper Hearts to to really sort of play around with that idea. I mean, we have an episode, uh, it, it, we have a scene in this episode where Mulder, um, you know, outright states that that uh, he's not sure that he believes in that stuff anymore, yeah. referring to alien abductions. This is a show that is very willing to discard, uh, uh, you know, long-held beliefs on its characters' parts. And I think that's kind of how you have to look at postmodern Prometheus. It is probably the the clearest encapsulation of that idea so far. Yeah, and I think even further, let's look into, let's check in where we think the conspiracy is right now and why Mulder doesn't believe in that. He has been told, and he has the best evidence that... You know, even though there might be aliens, there is also a vast conspiracy that is manufacturing evidence and that in a very real sense, Mulder's life is very authored right now. He is in the midst of something that people decided and created and spun out. And he's been trying to call out the powers that be and tell them, you know, take them to task for what they have done for the people that they have killed as a result of the conspiracy for all of the lies for all of those things um this is a very this is a much smaller example of that but this is somebody who finds himself in an authored situation and again tells the author what you have us in is bullshit give us a better one we deserve that and the author stepping up yeah no i agree with all of that because i i do think that you know, I don't know exactly to what degree we're supposed to to, to really buy into the idea that, that any of this really happened. And But again, it doesn't really matter. I mean, part of what's so interesting about The X-Files, I think, is that and you can see it in episodes like this where it really throws out the idea of objective reality and it really throws out the idea that um, it this is a show that knows it's a television show. It knows that it is creating a narrative. And it is playing around with the idea that that is what people do in their everyday lives as well. Yeah. You know, I think that you even get that in, 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 you know, with characters like the mother who are, who's creating this sort of like reality of, of how her son was born and how, uh, you know, what is going on in her life? You know, is he creating this, uh, uh, this comic book, uh, you know, the great mutato who is creating this, this sort of internal fantasy life. who's really focused on share and really focused on watching the movie mask over and over again. And, you know, at the same time, of course, it is also um, demonstrably 
unreal because it is really hearkening back to the look and feel of those you know 30s universal monster movies yeah i mean this this episode shows a lot of gossip running out of control and we get this little story at one point how Mulder comes to the town in the first place because uh this woman sees a jerry springer that where a woman who has this hairy baby mentions oh agent Mulder came to see me and that's how she finds out about him and we find out that that story is Mulder went to this lady's house saw the baby realized it was a condition that had a very mundane explanation to it and left and that was the entire thing and uh we don't know how that incident was mythologized in that town but this could be as simple as somebody reported somebody with two mouths Mulder visited the town it was somebody with certain genetic deformities uh and that was that. And this town has mythologized it in this way. And the episode that we are seeing is the town's mythology of Mulder's visit to town. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you also see that in the ways in which the townsfolk react to Mulder yeah. um, in this episode. Because he's not a real person to them. You know, neither is Scully. They are they are FBI agents that are here to investigate a crime and they are whatever the townsfolk want to put on them. You know, they are they are a hero and then they are suddenly villain. And it is not anything that that is that feels real, right? I mean, this is not an episode that that in any way, shape or form feels you know, true to life, um, that the townsfolk are demonstrably unreal, but I don't think anybody really would march on something with torches, for instance, you know, that, like, that is very much a direct callback to, to Frankenstein. You're right. We but, haven't seen anybody marching with torches in the past year. Well, okay. <laughs> Those were tiki torches though. Um, <laughs> But at the end of the day, though, I mean, you, you really do have to like take a step back from this episode and, and, and kind of say, you know, what is the point of it? And I that's where I kind of get hung up because there's a lot of stuff in here about postmodernism and the death of the author and, you know, the homages to Frankenstein and all kinds of stuff. Right. And, and the idea of of memory is unreliable and all kinds of stuff. But when you look at the core of this episode, I think it's about the ways in which people relate to each other and sort of the, the really deep longing and the really deep holes that some yeah. people have. And, you know, I think that Mulder and Scully are those kind of people as well. You know, I think Mulder is someone who um, doesn't have any close relationships except for Scully, but he also keeps Scully at arm's length. That was kind of the point of small potatoes. And then we have in Christmas Carol, Scully saying that she did the same thing. She's keeping people at arm's length. She doesn't want to get close to people. And, the postmodern Prometheus is almost the op- the exact refutation of that entire idea. Yeah, it ends with them dancing and embracing. Like, that, that is about as intimate a moment as we've ever seen the two of them in. Again, which is why it happens in this almost heightened happy ending, you know. Uh, again, and not only does he get to see Cher, but... Mulder and Scully become closer like that that that's the 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 ending is wildest wishes coming true um it's weird this episode is in a lot of ways comment this is again one of those episodes which comments on the state of the x-files not only do we see resonances of stuff like small potatoes and the themes that that brought up uh we have resonances to the conspiracy and the mythologizing of everything going around and we also have a situation in which women have alien babies or babies that they didn't 
know uh, they had at first or didn't have through consensual sex or anything like that. Again, picking up a theme in Small Potatoes, but one that is going to have a payoff in Christmas Carol when uh, we know the full import of what has happened to Scully. Yeah, and I mean, I Obvious. want to be careful about talking about that because that is a theme in the X-Files. You're right. Like the penny just dropped for me, like a violation, sexual violation specifically, uh, pregnancies, uh, you know, with or without consent against their will, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The, the, the pregnancies are wanted or not. I mean, the pregnancies in small potatoes were wanted. Uh, the pregnancies in this episode are not wanted. Well, well, I mean, the show goes out of its way to mitigate what has happened by having, for example, uh, Shannon Berkowitz seems more just like she doesn't seem really upset about what's happened to her. Just like, wow, what a weird thing. And I'm having another baby. And in the and, and in the super happy ending, of course, she is talking about how happy she is to have like she she doesn't seem to be upset about this she's kind of rolling with it and they also go out of this way to have the other woman uh the doctor's wife want to have a baby and oh good it's happened my husband won't let me have a baby but here we go uh again that's a little that's problematic in its way but the show does need to mitigate the fact that a rape that two rapes are at the core at the core of this incident and that's its attempt at doing so. Uh, yes, but I also think that you have to think about uh, Scully's sort of monologue. I mean, everybody gets a chance to have a monologue in this episode. But when they're when they're waiting for the great mutato in the woods and Izzy is secretly recording their conversation and, you know, Scully and Mulder are having one of their classic um, sort of condescending conversations about the people that they're investigating, yeah. you know, where Scully is saying, you know, I don't know if these people realize they think they're you know, on the Jerry Springer show, they're viewing their own lives through the lens of too much daytime television. And, you know, on the one hand, it's it's Chris Carter and the X-Files, once again, I think being condescending to sort of working class people. Um, but on the other hand, it's, I think, a really smart way for the show to comment on the fact that the same thing is going to happen to Scully next in the next episode. Yeah. And at the same time, we're really supposed to be very... Um, you know, I'm never really sure if I like the way that this episode treats uh, Shayna, for instance. You know, I think that it might be a little too, it might be a little too dismissive of her own agency as a person and her own willingness to to really have any sort of thought yeah. process. I'm not, I'm never sure about that, and no, I just don't she, know. Is she having no real? Is she not reacting to the level that this actually is because? She's just relatively calm and just whatever, and, oh, it, it's fine to have another baby, and, you know, that would be okay, and, you know, my son's growing up, so now I have, like, like, is she viewing it from that perspective and just not seeing a problem here, or is she too dumb to recognize that it's a problem? That That is something the episode rubs up against. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I, I think that, I don't know that this is always a problem with the X-Files in general, but I think it's a an issue in, in, in Chris Carter episodes where there is a little bit, of, I think, of a, condescend, a condescension to, yeah. you know, sort of non-college educated middle class people that, and this episode very strongly is down that line as well. Yeah, not that the college educated person, the professor, comes off that well, of course, but... Uh, yeah, but he's a white guy and he's allowed to be 
horrible because he's a white guy. <laughs> well, I think what what I find interesting about that reducing the people to a stereotype is that number one in El Mundo Gira. Mulder is the one who floats the theory that, oh, these people watch their telenovelas, and that's where they're getting this from. Um, or was it Scully who said that? Where did that come from? I don't remember which character said that. But I, I, I know certainly that it's it, – and this is probably a problem with the analysis because I remember Mulder saying that at some point at least. And uh, either way uh, – it's a comment on that, and let's also talk about the conversation where Mulder tells the doctor, oh, you know, t- talking about the doctor, is, is talking about Frankenstein and the mad scientist and all of that, and Scully's the one who gets a little offended that he's reducing the doctor to a literary stereotype. I mean, that's clearly a mirror for the, uh, you know, reducing these people to rednecks watching Springer. And there is, at the end, where... Uh, they realize that they have built everything up where, you know, Mulder does say, oh, you were right. And she's like, oh, but what, by reducing them to the cultural stereotype? Like, it does seem to say that it's wrong to reduce people to stereotypes, but sometimes they exist for a reason. Like, that's almost what it's saying. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I agree with you, but I also think that that's a very sort of problematic statement. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with myself. You know, but then at the end of the day, the postmodern Prometheus is, is this like beautiful episode that ends on this very optimistic moment. So I, I think it's a way again, it's a wish fulfillment thing. It's a defiant thing. But I think there is I mean, there is a sadness at, to all of this. These people aren't maybe having the greatest lives, you know, whether we are talking about. You know, Izzy, who has an overprotective mother, or the wife of the doctor, who is not in a good marriage, or whatever, or Mutato, who is somebody who cannot fully enjoy society. These are people who have been dealt kind of shitty hands in some way, and who there are things that are preventing them from, you know, their full potential or having what exactly they would want their lives to be. And at the end of the episode, Again, it says this – again, this sucks. These people have been dealing with – this is not fair. Make this fair, and the episode makes it fair. And yeah. again, it's a fantasy, sure, but I think putting that fantasy out there felt very powerful to me. I agree with that, and I think that's a good place to leave the postmodern Prometheus. So we're going to talk about Christmas Carol, but before we do that, I do just want to take an opportunity to remind all of you that this podcast is listener-supported. We have costs associated with this show. We do rely on your generous support uh, to keep bringing the show to you. So please go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow and give now. Okay, Christmas Carol. I loved this episode. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. I mean, I I think that this has been the strongest start for any X-Files season that that we have seen thus far. There's just, even Detour, which was just okay, uh, had really strong moments. And it's, I mean, this is a beautiful episode and it has so much to say about Scully and her relationships and where she has been, where she is going and what she wants out of life and, and what she's scared of losing. And, it's also a two-parter, so we don't even know what's going to happen. But it doesn't feel like a two-parter. I mean, the the end of it is almost the sort of like 
shock ending that comes out of nowhere. But I guess if you're paying attention, you could kind of pick up. Yeah, on it. I, I, that was actually my theory throughout the episode. Oh, what if it's actually Scully's kid? We know that Scully has had a child because let's face it. But um, is this the alien baby? And you know, I, I was surprised that. Uh, because it feels like it's going to resolve to something. Like, this is all going to make sense. And then at one point I was about to pause it, and I, it said three minutes left. And I was like, well, we don't know who any – we don't know who these – what the pharmaceutical company has to do. And who were those two guys? And, you know, what's the deal with this kid? And then they drop the bombshell. Well, it's my baby and the end. Um, it's nice to have a Scully episode to balance out the Mulder episode uh, from Unusual Suspects. Like, I think that's – kind of a nice bit of parody there but um yeah i mean in in a certain way this episode i mean Mulder appears very briefly like, yes yes because <laughs> david duchovny had it in his contract that he needed to appear in every single episode of the show um there's really no need for him to be there and that scene almost doesn't have a point but you know it, it's a good use of it because it does have a point of course because scully is in this very weird situation and she kind of reflexively reaches out to the one person that she has come to rely on but i think she realizes that Mulder can't help her in this situation. And it's also interesting because Scully, I mean, there's a lot of different directions to talk about this episode, but I think the way that I want to start it is sort of looking at Scully's family because that has become a more recurring motif in the show in in the past few episodes. I mean, her mother has always been there. Uh, Melissa was there for a little while. Um, you know, but her, her cancer really brought her family back and now she's home for Christmas. I mean, there's all these sorts of things. Um, you know, Bill's kind of horrible wife, Tara, who I really don't like. Uh, and, but Scully seems very, very apart from all of it. I mean, she, she is allowed to have a life separate from her job in a, in a very different way than, than Mulder does. I mean, Mulder obviously didn't go home for Christmas because he's like, jogging back into his apartment with like a bandana what was it what was it even yeah what was on his head was it a bandana <laughs> he running or something I, yeah i had to but, rewind the scene to see what that was and i still couldn't parse what it was so <laughs> but scully still has one world you know one foot in the world of the x-files one foot in the world of her job and one foot in the world of her family and having a sort of personal life whereas Mulder really doesn't and this episode is all about how Scully's professional life has impacted her personal life. Yeah. Um, she has a family life almost in spite of herself in a way, right? Like her her mother and Bill, particularly post-cancer, are kind of forcing themselves into her life. Uh because they do view like this is our sister slash daughter, and especially in Moss Scully's case, we've lost so many people over the years, Melissa and Dad. So, uh, but this again, this entire episode, she's ostensibly spending with her family, and she's gallivanting off into these uh, on this adventure. And I mean, the, the uh, you're 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 right, and this is a very difficult episode to talk about. I'm finding myself spinning out, but. Uh, what I think I got the most powerfully from this is at the end when they're talking about when the adoption agent is talking to Scully and is saying, you know, no, you're not good for this. You do, you you're you're married to the job basically. Uh, and Scully is all saying, no, I want this. I can do this. I can do this. And 
when she's saying you ha- at any moment this job could turn out to be the number one priority and then the child is off to the wayside and Scully's protesting, but that is exactly what she's done to her mom and Bill on this episode. Uh, they can take care of themselves. They're adults. It hurts them, certainly, but it will be nothing to the idea of the special needs kid that's in her care. She is. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's it. it it's it's almost, uh, you know, Scully is very rarely a character who is not realistic or, or has like doesn't have blind spots. Yeah, and she usually doesn't. And, and this is a very strong blind spot for her. I think that, you know, in a, in a certain sense, it, it, it it's a little bit of a shortcut, of course, because if you track Scully's evolution as a character, I mean, certainly in the first season when they were trying to experiment with giving them, uh, giving both characters lives outside of the job, and they quickly realized that yeah. that was really not working very well. Um, you know, kind of had this discussion about whether or not she was going to have a kid or date or get married, and that sort of quickly went into the wayside. And then she got abducted, the cancer, you know, ta- finding out that things were happening to her that she did not understand. And, really coming to a realization that I think the show is using her cancer um, in a very particular way to really get at the core of who this character is and what she wants out of life. And I think it makes sense that she would decide that she wants to have a child and she would latch on to the opportunity to adopt this child and not really think through the ramifications and the reality of what that is going to be like and what that is going to mean for her job, for her life, for, for everything going forward. It's, it's just, it's completely unrealistic. Yeah. She kind of wants to want a child and she is extraordinarily capable of love. She is very, uh, I, if she had this kid to her care, she, it's, you know, it's not that she would be a bad mother in any sense. She would be loving. She would provide everything she could, but she is split between, too many things she would just not be able to be there especially and, and and again they make it particularly clear that this child has some very strong medical needs that you need that almost is a full-time job in and of itself and without changing who she is and let's face it scully will never change that part of her that loves the job and is married to the job and you know, this is just not 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 in this lifetime, and it's 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 very it's sad. And again, she's I think in the conversation with the adoption agent, she knows even as she's saying it that this is bullshit. That this is something that she may want, but when push comes to shove, will not be able to do. See, that's interesting because I I have almost the exact opposite read on that. I mean, I I think that. I think that Scully would be willing to to give it up. I, I think that, you know, she has been through a lot and she has been through, you know, being abducted. She has been through the cancer. She is now, you know, in remission. But I think that she's reevaluating what she wants out of life. I mean, I think, you know, obviously almost dying has a has yeah. that impact on people. And, you know, people do sometimes radically change their lives after they have a, a health yeah, crisis or, or, you know, anything like that. And so I really feel that that last scene is, is very... Um, is very, very true to how she's actually feeling at that moment. But of course, the the flip side of that is the flashback to right before she went to Quantico, where she's talking to Melissa at Christmas time. And she's, she's saying, well, you know, how do I know this is the right thing? Because I thought medicine was the right thing. And, you know, once I graduated from medical school, I, I, I feel like I didn't want that anymore. And that's a very atypical that's a very atypical way for the show to to treat Scully because she has always been very sure of her own self and, and sure of her career. Uh, 
And I don't know if it's supposed to make us doubt her commitment to Emily in that last scene or not. I'm never sure about that. I don't know. I think Scully is somebody who is on a journey. Whether or not she wants to be, she is on a journey. She has found herself in a very different place than she was 10 years ago. She was initially going to be a doctor and then realized the FBI was the place that she would excel the most. And now she's dealing with the X-Files and she doesn't know what the next step is going to be. And I think there is a part of her that will always wonder and want the scully wonders if there is a part of herself that would have been happy married with the kid and having a less demanding job and all of that um there is a version of scully that quote-unquote has it all i mean put her in a private practice and she's able to you know be a doctor and still have a family and she can do that and uh but that's not the life that she's found herself in um I mean, it's almost, you know, this is another resonance of why don't I have a desk? You know, Scully doesn't have a home base in some ways. And partially that's due to inertia. Partially that's due to choices. But partially that's just how it's happened to happen. And she doesn't know if she should be okay with that or not. I think there are times when she is okay with that. When she recognizes that her work has helped people and that she has been able to do some amazing scientific things and has gotten all of the career fulfillment that she might want uh, and isn't really upset that she doesn't have the ability to f- hyper-focus on work. I mean, that that is the thing. Scully does hyper-focus on things. She does get uh, interested in studying something and then she does that to all exclusion. Um, not, to the, not to the dangerous degree Mulder does, but she has a very strong when when she's faced with a problem she wants to solve it yes i would agree with that and i i also think that that that's very key to the the plot of this episode because i mean i think that we need to talk about her her relationship with her family and how how put upon she feels by them i think frankly and and how she there's no reason for her to get involved in this. Of course, you've got the the X Files hook of she gets these bizarre phone calls that don't don't really appear to be possible um, from a woman that sounds like Melissa. I mean, will that get resolved in the next episode? Who knows? I mean, that might have just been a device, a Christmas um, miracle. Right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is this is a play on Christmas Carol, of course. I mean, as well. I mean, we have to look at it that way because the, the flashbacks are sort of like the ghosts, right? And it is the case that I think Scully wants to be with her family. I think she wants to like her family, but I think there's something with she feels like they don't really understand her. And, you know, her, her brother does make an offhanded comment about that partner of yours um, yeah. in this episode, not really indicating that he likes Mulder very much, which, of course, we already knew uh, from the events of Redux. But she doesn't – it doesn't seem like she's very connected to them in a real way. And – you don't really get a sense that maybe she talks to any of them very often. And I mean, I made an offhand comment about how I don't really like Bill's wife, Tara. Um, She's fine. She's just generally the kind of straight woman that annoys me. Uh, And I don't think that Scully likes her very much either. And, you know, I didn't really get a strong impression of the wife. All I remember is the, Oh, it's like, she's kickboxing me scene. Um, 
I mean, I found her fine and inoffensive. And she's not- just very sort of like she's yeah. got that one very, very tone deaf, uh, tone deaf comment she makes where she's like, I can't believe that I'm pregnant. And it really uh, just feels like life was. A yeah. Prelude and this is the life is really beginning now. And you're just like, Jesus Christ. Like, no, like, I just, you roll your eyes at that. You know, I filed her under straight blonde lady. Like, you know, she loves wine and minions memes and like that. That that's who. The wife is to me, and so, you know it's the yes. I I I don't like her very much, but she's somebody that I would just not find myself in a position with, you know. Um, but with with Bill, there's always this weird tension between him and Scully, um, which I think has to do with the fact that Bill is Dad Part Two. I mean, he is the military guy. He is. Very much the thing that uh, Scully says to her therapist where she finds herself very drawn to very authoritative men who are in control and then finds herself resenting them because she feels very limited by them and you know condescended to. And that is who Bill is. I mean, Bill is somebody who loves Scully very much, cares for her, thinks the world of her, will do what he can to help her. But at the same time, uh, doesn't really approve of her lifestyle in the way that dad didn't approve of her lifestyle quite. Uh, doesn't really worry. There is always this sense when he's talking to her that uh, he's worried that she's doing too much in her job and that this is too dangerous of a job for her. You know, I mean, he's somebody. Yeah. Who, he's still looking out for his baby sister in a lot of ways. And. Meanwhile, at this point, I'm 30 years old. I survived cancer and the fluke guy and all of these people shooting at me like I can take care of myself Uh, at the same time as she is recognizing where he's coming from, the place that his worry is coming from and appreciating the fact. Again, this is this is she is a very ambivalent person in a lot of ways. She is very torn between a lot of things that she wants and that she can't necessarily square all of these circles because they can't be in a lot of ways. It is very difficult to juggle a demanding career with a special needs child and maybe you can't do that and she doesn't want to deal with that. I can't do this. Because, again, Scully is is the kind of person who... She's a medical doctor who works for the FBI. Most of the challenges, at least intellectual ones, that she has dealt with, she has passed with flying colors. And so hearing, you can't do this, this physically can't be done, is is difficult for her. Yes, I agree with all of that. And and this is going to come across as a little bit of a loaded question. And, and maybe I intend it that way. Let, let's have a little fun. You always um, intend loaded questions. that's true we've been doing this long enough you should know that by now uh do you think the x-files is treating scully as a character as a woman uh as well as it should be i'd say it depends who's writing there are plenty of times where scully is just as kick-ass as Mulder. there are plenty of times where she's saving him as much as he's saving her there have been points in the show where she is being damseled a little more and I find that they have course corrected on that. Um, I think this show is written by guys who are sympathetic to the fact that a woman's experience is different 
and recognize that there are different challenges that a woman deals with, uh, that there are certain societal expectations that are different. I think they all know all of this intellectually and have a lot of women in their lives they are close to, but there is something that still feels a little bit translated about it. I, I would agree with that. I think that's a good way to put it because I do think that the the writers on this show um, do a pretty good job of, of handling Scully as a woman. And I think that you know, while they do fall into the trap of damseling her sometimes, they, they don't do it and they don't do it often enough to, to make it uh, objectionable. Although I think even once might be objectionable to some people. But I also think that, that you have to look at the reverse of it and say that, you know, while Scully is allowed to be vulnerable and she is very vulnerable in this episode emotionally, she is very yeah. open and she is dealing with a lot of very strong, um, very strong feelings that she doesn't really know what to do with. And she's vulnerable with her brother. She's vulnerable with um, even the detective to some degree. Uh, vulnerable with her mother, certainly. Um, I don't think Mulder is allowed to be vulnerable in the same uh, way. And well, even in even in episodes that are very profoundly dealing with the the loss of his sister or the loss of his father or dealing with his mother, he very more, I think, often goes to the well of the man is going to be angry. Men show emotion through anger. Men show emotion through, you know, strong whatever. And and I just, I find it interesting that it's almost the reverse of that for Scully. Well, I think there is a degree of vulnerability that was going in around the uh, turn of the season uh, where you have Mulder dealing with the fact that this entire conspiracy may be a lie, but um, mul- and, and again, maybe this is just because of a stereotype. Men are a lot more, you know, th- th- but Mulder is not able to deal with his shit as well as Scully is. Part of that is the stereotype that men are less emotional, and so when they are, you know, facing an emotion they can't ignore, they kind of freak out about it. They go to a doctor and have things drilled into their skull. Uh, Scully, meanwhile, dealing with the same level of existential crisis, perhaps, uh, is a lot more stoic about it, is able to process that better, does have a little bit more of a support system uh, in place than Mulder does to deal with that, and uh, just can ride the waves a little better. Again, maybe that is partially a a stereotype, but I think the show has gone enough to establish that Mulder is this loner who has sacrificed everything for this quest, and Scully hasn't quite sacrificed everything yet, and probably never will, and I think is in general a bit more of an emotionally healthy person. I Yeah, that I would agree with, and I think that this is a very strong example of the latter, that, that the show is willing to show Scully one, being a little more ambivalent about all of this, but at the same time, I think being committed to it. I mean, I think that yeah. she she's a very good investigator. Obviously, she she uncovers uh, a, you know a murder uh, which the police uh, avoided. I mean, there's a reason why I've never been to San Diego because apparently people get murdered there left and right. Um, huh. But also that, I mean, I think it's 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 very important that this episode takes place over Christmas as well. Um, because that's when the whole family comes together and that's, I mean, families are a mess. I mean, we don't need to get into some sort of facile uh, uh, conversation about families because everybody has one and everybody knows that they're a mess sometimes. And there's a lot of history and there's a lot of emotions and there's a lot of stuff going on there. But I think it's very, very interesting that this episode is a Christmas episode and that 
you know, Christmas is a, is a season that is very imbued with all sorts of, of weird memories and, and, and weird, you know, longings and emotions coming up to the surface. And it's just a very, very emotionally fraught time for a lot of people. And I mean, they do make an offhanded comment about yeah. the fact that uh, the, the detective was kind of led down the wrong path because he says that, you know, a lot of people commit suicide over Christmas, which yeah. is actually not true. Really? But yeah, I read an article that said it was not true. Um, it is a misnomer. Um, suicides actually go down over the holidays. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious what you make of that, because I think that, that you have different thoughts on Christmas than I do. So maybe you have different thoughts on the setting for this episode as well. <laughs> um, well, part of where I'm going to spitball from this has to do with the fact that Christmas is, you know, a celebration of a birth. I mean that that is what is if you're going to have a an episode that is focusing on pregnancy and having children and all of that Christmas is a is a very pregnant holiday for that kind of symbolism ha 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 um and especially for a very catholic family like Scully's you know Christmas is the most important day of the year in a way uh and you know, we also, for example, get the origin of the cross necklace, and that even um, gets passed down to little Emily on there. Um, it is a. Sh- I mean, I guess I could, you know, ramble a bit about the role of faith in Scully's life. Certainly, this is an episode in which a, you know, again, seeing the origin of the cross, we learn where. You know, we 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 it. We obviously know that Skelly's mother was the one who encouraged her faith and is the religious one in the family, is the one who called the priest to, uh, you know, talk to Skelly and all of that. And the fact that Skelly is able to pass that on to Emily uh, in a way highlights Skelly's possession of that faith in this episode, I would say. Um I'm not sure I have anything more than that, but... Well, I I actually think that's really interesting because that's one of the things that that strikes me the most about this episode is that Scully very clearly has a longing and she has a a, hole, I mean, in her soul, if I can be so uh, gross as to use that sort of terminology. Uh, Um, And I think that there's a lack of something in her life and the fact that she very quickly um, gravitates to Emily... Uh, you know, it does speak to, okay, Is the, the show says that Emily is her daughter, so we have no reason to believe otherwise. Um, so so you kind of indicate, okay, well, there's some sort of mother-daughter bond there that is just over time or something like that. I mean, you just, you can't get away from it. It's, yeah. it's sort of an internalized thing. But she obviously is very drawn to, to Emily. She's very drawn to the fact that um, she believes that this is Melissa's child as well. And I think she really misses her sister. And yeah. I think that's kind of the the point of it as well. And it's the uns- and this is, again, why I think this episode is so great, is that no one mentions that Melissa was murdered because of her job. Like, yeah, they just kind of all understand that that is what happened and that there's this hole in their family that can never be uh, can never be filled. And no one blames Scully for it. But I think that's why her mother reacts so strongly and negatively to Scully coming to her and saying that she believes that this child is, is Melissa's child because 
it's I, I think her mother is interpreting that as how dare you like you took my daughter away from me and now you're now you're trying to give her back to me like don't do this see and it's interesting where i see the mother in this episode because you know there's a few points where like at one beginning she goes quiet and you know scully's asked her what's wrong and she said always oh, i'm just thinking about melissa and dad and when she is talking to Scully about after, you know, the this is Melissa's baby thing, um, Ma Scully is talking very much in terms of somebody who has got into the acceptance part, right? She's saying, oh, yes, I remember when, it for, when your father first died, I felt that loss, and it was so horrible, and I kept seeing him everywhere, and I kept thinking. And, and she says that in the from the perspective of somebody who has again got into that point got into the point when she when she recognizes that he's died it's sad you know he's gone but i can still remember the good times and i can still feel happy about that i can mention melissa's name and talk about something funny that she did when she was young without breaking down into tears and Scully is very obviously not at that point, and I think Ma Scully is recognizing that, and it's as much because um, it's as much that she's – and I think in a lot of ways she's worried that her daughter isn't processing this healthily. Again, Scully may be emotionally healthy, but it doesn't seem like she really has dealt with Melissa's death, at least to her mother's uh, perspective, and I think it comes from that place too. Like, you need yeah. to start to begin to heal. She recognizes how broken Scully is still. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think in a lot of ways that that may be where um, her her entire family's, uh, you know, reaction to her is. I mean, I think that her brother, for example, is um, very upset with her for sort of, like, working. He's like, you came here to be with the family. Why are you working? You slept here at all night. You know, you're, you're sleeping on the couch. She's disappearing. She's, you know, missing lunch dates with them. And... You know, even when she's there, she's not there. And that's very hurtful to them. And I think that in a family that has had so much loss over the course of this, you know, the running time of this series, um, losing the, the father and losing a sister, you know, a, a, and a daughter, uh, they also, and then just almost losing Scully, um, you know, yeah. she had terminal cancer and was dying until, you know, Mulder went and found the cure. Uh, and she is in a, very, mean, she's in a job where she could be shot too like that that that's not right she doesn't even need cancer to be in danger yeah that yeah that is true as well yeah i mean she's an fbi agent she could very easily be be shot on the job um all of these things i think are are impacting that and they're they don't really understand scully and i don't think i don't think scully really understands her family that may even be beyond the point or beside the point um, because they love her and and Scully loves her family, but they just don't know how to talk to each other. And I think that's really um, at the end of it, what this is about because Scully is still alone in this and whatever happens next week in the conclusion of this uh, is not really going to bring Scully and her family closer together. Yeah. And I wonder if the brother almost feels uh, like we lost dad. We lost Melissa we almost lost you and you're still gallivanting around. It's your responsibility. You know, now that we still have you, it's kind of your responsibility to still be here with us. You know, we, we want to be together as a family in a way. 
I want yeah. my I want my kid to have their ad. Wouldn't it be lovely if we all lived in California together on base housing? I mean, again, a fantasy and maybe something that's only but at the very least, we could have this during Christmas time for a week and you're not doing what you should do. Bill is somebody who believes that there is a responsibility to family and he does believe that his sister hasn't quite done her what she ought to. We understand all of the reasons for Scully's motivations and why she feels what she does, and we do know that every time she's something alien-related is happening, that it actually exists. We know that whatever Mulder is doing is important, quote-unquote. We know that Scully's work is important, but from her family's perspective, she's just not there. I mean, the last time they were all together as a family... She just left in the middle of dinner. Can't she sit through an entire dinner? Can't she go to lunch with us one time? I mean, we we are on Scully's side because she's the main character of the show, but I almost don't blame Bill for being at least frustrated. Yeah, and I I think that's why it's such a good episode because there's so many things factoring into it, and and, and it's really – the episode makes it very easy to see, you know, her family's point of view as well. And, um, you know, I also think it's incidental, of course, that, that Bill is even married. I mean, his, his wife is not really a character. She has a couple of tone deaf things, um, that she says, but at the end of the day, like she's not really there because this is really about Scully's family. I don't even know that, that part of that to me reads like Scully hasn't even really gotten to know Bill's wife. I think that's very clear. Yeah. That's I mean, probably as, hurtful to, to Bill as well. I mean, he lives in California. He has um, moved around a bunch because he's, again, military. So they have, you know, it's very, probably very difficult for them to see each other. He has to wait till he's on leave or till they visit him. But again, you could make time in Christmas time. It seems to be part yeah. of his view. All right, well, I think that's a good place to leave Christmas Carol. We will talk about the two episodes for next week. If you have any thoughts on either of these episodes, go over to tuninginshow.com and leave a comment. We will answer you. It's very, we're very good that way. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash truckaboutshow that also supports our other podcast, Truck About. Uh, this, mo- this week on Truck About, we are talking about uh, the Star Trek Voyager episodes, Living Witness and Demon. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tuning In Show is our username in all those places. So go follow us for all of our updates. And as always, please leave us an Apple Podcast review for this podcast. It really does help. All right, next week we will be talking about these X-Files episodes, Emily and, I'm going to butcher this, Kitsunagari. Mac, why do you...